Well, thanks again uh, for being here today. Uh, we're going to continue our, our look at the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, it wasn't my brilliant idea to do this. Uh, many, many of our churches in our denomination are doing this, and in our presbytery, uh, there's quite a number of us that are all doing the same thing. We're all preaching on the five solas of the Reformation, and um, I hope it's helpful to you and that you will uh, enjoy this. Today, last week, we talked about uh, sola scriptura, scripture alone, and, and that scripture is to be our final authority and uh, uh, the only rule for faith and practice. That's what our uh, Confession of Faith says, Westminster Confession and our Shorter Catechism, that the uh, scripture alone is the ultimate authority in our lives for what we believe and for our practice, how we are to behave, and of course, our heart motives that are go along uh, be, be behind all of that. Today we're going to look at uh, this, the second sola. They're really not in any particular order, but this is the way I've decided to do it. Sola fide, which is by faith uh, alone. And I'm, I'm going to, to hopefully challenge, I think, uh, your perception of what faith is. And if it doesn't challenge you, then, then good, because that means you agree with me, and that's the right thing you should do. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But what, I, what I'm saying is that, that what the Bible says faith is, and what we perceive faith to be, can sometimes not uh, completely uh, agree. Let me read you something from uh, A.W. Tozer. Tozer is uh, dead, long dead. Uh, but he is an amazing uh, writer uh, in the pursuit of God. If you've not read this book, it's one of the classics. You must read this book in order to get into heaven. You, there's no heaven for you without reading this book. You don't think that's funny. Okay. Uh, no, but, but pick it up sometime. The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Amazing book. And uh, just let me read this little excerpt from his chapter on faith, which is The Gaze of the Soul. And then we'll read our, our scripture. Listen to this. Believing is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. Believing is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting up the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. At first, this may be difficult, but it becomes easier as we steadily look upon His wondrous person, quietly, without strain. Distractions may hinder, but once the heart is committed to Him, after each brief excursion away from Him, the attention will return again and rest upon Him like a wandering bird coming back to its window. Listen, faith is the least self-regarding of the virtues. It is by its very nature scarcely conscious of its own existence. Like the eye which sees everything in front of it and never sees itself. Faith is occupied with the object upon which it rests and pays no attention to itself at all. While we are looking at God we do not see ourselves blessed riddance. The man who has struggled to purify himself and has nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul. 
and looks away to the perfect one. While he looks at Christ, the very things he has so long been trying to do will be getting done within him. It will be God working in him to do and to will. What is faith alone? What does it mean? What is that all about? We're going to look at it, and I hope it will clear some things up to you. And faith alone has to be linked, listen very carefully, it must be linked to your justification, your right standing before God, how you relate to Almighty God. In, in, what, in what place or status are you going to be before God? Is it going to be by faith alone that you are justified and made right with God? Or is it going to be justification with faith plus some other things? And what the Reformers said is sola fide, faith alone, by itself. But when it comes to your life, faith is never alone. Faith True saving faith means that your heart will be transformed and you'll behave differently. Your actions, your attitudes, your appetites will be different. And they will not change overnight. As Tozer said, you're going to have distractions. And so throughout your lifetime, you are to constantly be refocusing your gaze upon the perfect one, upon Jesus Christ. And this is where it can become so frustrating being a Christian. Because we think transformation should just happen right away and everything should just clear up and I should be some kind of a super saint. And listen, I didn't get to where I am today uh, being a super saint uh, overnight. All right. All right. Some of you don't know me well, so I'm joking again. <laughs> but please, lighten up, you Presbyterians. Dear God. All right. Turning your scripture to chapter 3 of uh, the book of Romans, a classic text. Uh, uh, you could have guessed I was going to choose this one, but uh, it's in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible. If you do, look at it. Verse 3, uh, uh, we're going to look at or verse, chapter 3, sorry, and, and uh, verse 21. We're going to read this seven verses through 28. Now hear God's Word. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified or made righteous before God by faith apart from the works of the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? 
by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. I went ahead and read through the end of the chapter because it all hangs together, as I'm sure you can tell. And we're going to look at three things this morning. Can't possibly co- look whole entire books. In fact, multiple volumes have been written about not only the book of Romans, but about this passage on faith in chapter 3. It's amazing what Paul says. And I can't possibly cover it all. We could take a, a half a year and we wouldn't cover it all. But I am going to try to give you an overview, the, the, the familiar 30,000 foot view, and hopefully you'll get a grip on what Paul is getting at when it comes to faith. Because we all have these, these ideas about what faith is. And if you listen to con- con- contemporary American theology, faith is a force that you have in you, and, and that force needs to be groomed and manicured, and uh, uh, it's like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it will get, and that your faith is a force that will go out and reach and get things and make contact and bring them to you. And so you hear people constantly saying, I need more faith. I need stronger faith. I need this. I need that. And if you think that, good. Because I'm going to try to dissuade you. You don't need more faith. You don't need stronger faith. You need faith. And you need a strong Savior. You need an object in which to take that little paltry faith and put it in that will then become strong. If it's about your faith, you will lose. And Paul makes no bones about it. We're going to look at three things. First of all, very quickly, a single humanity, I'm going to give you a little outline here, single humanity, a single act, remember we're talking about sola fide, a single humanity, a single act, and a single source. The single humanity we see in verses 22 and 23, and Paul really develops this throughout the book of Romans, but we don't have time to look at all of it, but now through the righteousness of God is manifested But now the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all. For all who believe. And he explains what all means. It means all, both Jew and Gentile. There were only in that world, in Paul's world, there were only two kinds of people. Jew and Gentile. There weren't, you know, uh, uh, 176 nations meeting at the UN and there weren't all these races and people. There were two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is saying, is he the God only of the Jews? And he says, no. If he's God of the Gentiles also. And now we're going to see him working in the life of these people. Look, People have always been justified by faith. There is a heretical, erroneous teaching that you can turn your Christian TV on to any time of the day or night, except for the few times where you might see R.C. Sproul or somebody on Christian TV. But you turn it on anywhere, and what they will tell you is that there's two ways of salvation. There's the Old Testament way and the New Testament way. Old Testament way, you obeyed the law and you worked for your salvation. New Testament law, you are saved by grace, by faith, and that's all. So you don't need all that Old Testament. And that is a lie. It's a heretical lie. People have always, Old Testament people, New Testament people, Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, David, 
John the Baptist, Chuck Isaac, everybody, every human being has been justified one way and one way only, and that is through the grace of God by faith plus nothing. Can I have an amen, Presbyterians? Plus nothing. If you think the Old Testament people were saved by the law, by keeping the commandments, you have not read your Bible. Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord, what? What did the Lord do? He imputed it to him for righteousness. He credited it to him for righteousness. Simply because he believed in God and was trusting God and not trusting Baal and not trusting Molech and not trusting Chemosh and not trusting all the other gods of the ancient Near East. No, he put his trust in yod in the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament, and it was imputed to him, reckoned to him, counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed. David believed. Moses believed. He argued with the bush, but he still believed. People have always been justified one way. Through the grace of God, by faith. Plus nothing. The Old Testament people looked forward to the coming King. They weren't sure who He was or what that was all about, but they knew that God was going to save them because He promised in Genesis 3, I will send My servant and He will crush the head of the serpent. And every Old Testament saint was waiting for that son to be born, whoever he was, that would crush the serpent for them. That's how they were saved. We look back and we have a little more information. We know who He was. We know His name. We know what He did. We know that when they pulled Him up on that cross, His feet were nailed to that beam. He crushed the serpent's head. Yes? Crushed it. And we know that. They were looking forward. We were looking back. But everybody was putting their faith in God who would save. But quickly, quickly, happened in the garden, happens every day, happens to me, happens to you, everyone. Quickly we begin to add to the faith alone. We start adding. Listen to what Paul said in, and, uh, in, in later in Romans and in Philippians. Listen. Being ignorant, he's talking about his own class, his religious class, the Pharisees. Being religion of the, ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They're, they're trying to establish their own righteousness. That was the, the Old Testament uh, error and listen don't trust just because I'm a Protestant thank God I'm not one of those Roman Catholics uh, that believe in salvation by works the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox do not believe in salvation by works they believe in salvation by grace through faith just like us and most Protestants if I say are you saved by faith alone by justified by faith alone you all will raise your hands but you don't believe it and neither do I. And I can prove it to you. What happens when you sin? The first thing, look, I've been pastor of this church almost 15 years. And I have yet to meet anyone, including myself, I'll be honest, that when, when we go sideways and we get crossways with God, 
that the first instinct is not to try to fix it first. Yes? See, you, you, what is wrong with you all this morning? Yes. The answer is yes. Boldly yes. We want to fix it first. We want to get things kind of cleaned up a little bit. Then go to God and believe and whatever that is. But we want to do some stuff first. Everybody does that. Whatever that is. And that's a mistake. Listen to Paul. I myself, Paul, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else, he's boasting now, he's, he's, he's trying to be absurd to show the Philippian people their error. Hey, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That's how far I went. As to righteousness under the law, listen to what he says. As to righteousness, you want to know what righteous under the law is? I was blameless. I mean, we wouldn't even accept Paul in church because he's a big fat liar, liar, pants on fire. Blameless. Now listen, but whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, knowing in Paul's uh, language was faith in Him. Justification by faith alone is for all the people, Jew and Gentile. Paul is saying, look Jews, you cannot trust in your pedigree. Look, Gentiles, you better get on board because there is only one way to be saved. And that way is Jesus Christ. And the only way you have access to Him is to trust Him. You've got to trust Him. Listen to what the prophets said about one humanity. One humanity. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow into it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways and that we may walk in His path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall gather there to it. Paul went on to say, There is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. There is no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. But all are one in Christ. All. When you get to heaven, there aren't going to be a group of people with epaulets on their robes that have stars of David. And then over here is a bunch of us Gentiles and we have uh, little crosses on ours because we're stepchildren. Do you realize that Abraham was adopted? That he was a stepchild? Do you realize that the nation of Israel was adopted? That God called him my son? Do you realize that the Bible says 
that Jesus was monogene, the only begotten, the only one, that I'm a son of God today, me, this man here, I'm a son only because I'm trusting him. Do you see it? You cannot be justified by being born into it. You can't be justified by doing something, observing the law, the ceremony, whatever. You can't. It's impossible. You don't get it by your ethnicity and you don't get it by your non-ethnicity. You don't get it by keeping the law. You certainly don't get it by breaking the law. God has judged the entire world, the entire human race, guilty. Listen to what Dr. Packer, J.I. Packer, the second book you must read to get to heaven is Knowing God. So go buy those two, The Pursuit of God and Knowing God, and read them and you will go to heaven. Listen to what Packer says. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. His law condemns us gnaws at us. Our guilt eats away, making us restless, miserable, and in our lucid moments, afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with our Maker. So we need the forgiveness of our sins and assurance of a restored relationship with God more than we need anything else in the whole world. And this is, the, this is what the gospel offers us before it offers us anything else. Were I asked, this is Packer, were I asked to focus the New Testament message in three words, could you do that? Here's what he says. If I were asked to focus the New Testament message in three words, my proposal would be adoption through propitiation. I'll explain it in a moment. Adoption through propitiation. And I do not expect ever to meet a more rich and pregnant summary of the gospel than this. One humanity, all humanity, moving towards that one narrow gate. Jesus Christ plus nothing. One humanity Jew and Gentile, all of us. And when we get to heaven, we're all going to have the same white robes, white, sparkling white. And into the throne room will stroll our Savior and only His robe will be discolored, splattered with blood because it says He tread the winepress of God's wrath alone. We'll be clothed in white He'll be stained with blood. All have sinned. All Jew and Gentile. We all need a singular source. Quickly, let's look at the second part of this. The the singular act. Propitiation. By His grace through redemption in Christ. We're justified. It says we are made right with God. Through a single act. A single act of a man. His life. Everything He did 
and his death on the cross, his entire life, a single act, what John Stott, Dr. Stott called the cross complex from his incarnation to his ascension and session in glory and being handed the scepter of righteousness by God his Father to sit on his throne and rule forevermore. That life, that one act of Jesus, not merely his death on the cross, not merely his resurrection, but the entire life provided propitiation, grace as a gift from God. It's one way. We're going to talk about it next week. Grace is one way. Grace, the very definition of grace means it has nothing that you prop up over against it. It is singularly alone. And the basis of our redemption. And what is it, this gift that He gives us, what Paul's talking about, this gift of grace that we receive? How do you receive it? By faith. Listen to what Dr. I'm quoting a lot of theologians because this is theology. This is, about as, this is about as theological as you will ever get, folks. Right here, propitiation. Listen, propitiation. The word, by the way, propitiation is hilasterion. It's an amazing word. And we just don't have time to look at all of it. But listen, it is translated atonement. Listen to what Dr. Moose says. In the Septuagint, it means the mercy seat. Look, if this doesn't excite you, if this doesn't get your blood going, if you don't want to jump out of your chair and just start acting like you're a charismatic right now, there's something wrong with you. I'm just letting you know. Because I'm going to jump up and down in a second. You kids watching? You're going to get to see a Presbyterian minister actually move instead of standing. The mercy seat. That's what hilasterion means. The mercy seat. On the day of atonement, sprinkled, blood was sprinkled on this mercy seat in order to make atonement. They took blood. They, they took a hyssop, a long branch, and they dipped it, and they, they, didn't, they didn't just go like this. They hit it with the brush. They put the blood on there. It splattered. It was unbelievable. The only, listen, the only other New Testament occurrence of his hilasterion is in Hebrews 9.5. It refers to the mercy seat. Paul's point is this. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the counterpart to the mercy seat, the place where God took care of His people's sin. Now Jesus is His cross. That's the place where God deals finally and forever with His people's sin. Atonement now takes place. Propitiation. In other words, God takes away everything that was standing between you and Him. Everything. Past, present, and future. He takes it all. And He is satisfied. Propitiation means satisfaction. He is satisfied with what Jesus did on the mercy seat, on the cross. And at the same time, I can't complete the quote, it's too long, we don't have time. Dr. Moose says He not only satisfies the wrath of God, but then He takes our sin and like the scapegoat, He goes out into the wilderness, the grave. He goes into the grave for us. Do you see how, how, how ridiculous it is when we sin and when we are bad and when we are just all crossways with God and we want to try to do something to fix it? 
You can't fix it. If you could fix it, he would have just given us a book with about three pages and say, here, do these things. But he didn't. He gave us a person. And if you don't run to that person the minute that you fail, you will never find atonement. You can't. How will you do it? Run to Jesus. Run, run, run. When you get there, He will take care of the rest. Now, shall we sin that grace may abound? What does Paul say? By no means. Thank you. Ume. He says, no, 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 no. Of course not. If you're doing that, you don't understand faith. You don't understand grace. Faith, your faith does not cause God to love you. Faith merely receives what He has done. You see, faith is not about you at all. Did you hear that? Faith's not about you. Faith is about Him. It's about the man. It's about what you're putting your faith in. What are you putting your faith in? I've told you, this is the third book you have to read to get to heaven. Um, the Everlasting Righteousness by Horatius Bonar. I can't even tell you the number of times I've read this book, and I can't read it without breaking down, emotionally breaking, because it is so powerful. I've given it to some of you, and if you want it, I'll, I'll get it to you. It's an amazing book. It's, it saved my life, this little book. Listen. Horatius Bonar. The strength or kind of faith required is nowhere stated. The Holy Spirit has said nothing as to quantity or quality on which so many dwell and over which they stumble, remaining all their days in darkness and uncertainty. Do I have enough? Is it good enough? It is simply believing. Feeble as our faith may be, that we are invested with this righteousness. For faith, listen, for faith is no work, no merit, nor effort, but the cessation from all these. You see, you're not really believing if you're striving to, if you're trying to believe. It is the cessation from all these. And the acceptance, listen, the acceptance in place of them of what another has done. Done completely and forever. The simplest Feeblest faith suffices. This changed my life. Listen. For it is not the excellence of our act of faith that does anything for us, but the excellence of Him who suffered for me, the just for the unjust. that He might bring us to God. Faith does not come to Calvary to do anything. Faith does not come to Calvary to do anything. 
It comes to see the glorious spectacle of all things done and to accept its completion without a misgiving as to if its efficacy, it means it's an old word, it means its effectiveness, its power. When you look at the cross, do you see power throbbing from that moment of weakness? That's what he says. You don't have any doubt about, wow, look at this. Now your faith is not you, it's them, it's Him, it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit for you. It listens to the it is finished and it says, Amen. That's faith. Looking at the cross and saying, Amen, Amen. A single source, listen carefully, And we'll be finished. A single source. Love's kiss. Have you all seen Beauty and the Beast? Don't raise your hands because I know TV's evil, right? I love these movies, Beauty and the Beast. I I like the cartoon version, Disney, a little better than the actual version that uh, Emma Watson was in, Hermione. Anybody know what Hermione is? Okay. I'm getting deeper all the time, man. Yeah, okay. Emma Watson is the beauty, and she's, you know, there's this beast. And, and the way that she needs to save the beast is by loving the beast. You know where I'm going, right? Look at verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins, It was to show His righteousness in the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. Do you see what He says? Love. Dr. Packer, somewhere, I could not find it, but somewhere Dr. Packer says the kiss of love in the Bible is God's kiss of love of love, where His compassion, His mercy, His grace, in other words, His disposition towards you, His profound love, He's not holding His nose at you. He's looking at you and with every... You say, well, you you don't know what I've done. Yes, I do, because I've done them. And more. He looks at all that and He loves you. And with a kiss... He joins that love to His justice and His holiness and in His mercy that would have required that you go into the grave and burn in eternity in hell. And instead, <laughs> He kisses us. And that kiss, the just and justifier, is Jesus Christ. When He gave His Son when He sent His Son into the world, that little baby in a manger, and you look at it and say, oh, Christmas is so cute, and the put-up decorations, all, all good, all good. And His mother lavishing Him with kisses, and His father Joseph lavishing Him with kisses, and the Father in Heaven lavishing Him with kisses, knowing where He would go for you as you 
on the cross. You see it. The only way it can be faith is faith alone. It can't be faith plus something. You deserve, you do a disservice to him. If you bring anything else, it's faith. It's simply trusting him plus nothing. I see it. I see you. I've been crucified with Christ. Paul saw it. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not me. Not me. But Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May I boast in nothing. May I never boast except in the cross of Christ. Will you trust him? That's all he's asking. He's not asking you to have great faith. He's not asking you to have strong or weak or nothing. He's just wanting you to trust him. And if you're a Christian... You have to trust Him every single day. And if you're not a Christian, then ask yourself, what are you trusting? What? I hope you will. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we... uh, Wow. what, What can we possibly say to you except amen? Thank you for giving us your Son. And as we come to the table to eat this bread and drink this cup, the cup of our Lord, the cup of rejoicing and joy. Let us never forget that He drank the cup of wrath for us. And that in that cup, He made His joy complete because He saved us and rescued His beloved. He does love us and you love us. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, Father, and renew in us a heart of faith to trust you. Amen.